I am extremely humbled to be standing up here tonight. This was a something I wasn't expecting, but God's good, and hopefully, hopefully this will be good for y'all. So, um, praise God. We'll let them do. I appreciate the the songs tonight because of the praying and the the lesson that I've I've got prepared. That's everything is just right in line, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Um, I've got two passages of scripture. If you guys would get your Bibles, that I'd like to read to you tonight. Uh, the first one's in Genesis chapter 23 and 24, and the uh, the Bible says, "Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden." To till the ground from whence he was taken. And so he drove out the man. And he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims. And a flaming sword. Which turned every way. To keep the way of the tree of life. Remember verse 24. And he drove. Him from the garden. And then Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through. Or verse 1 and verse 4. Now the Lord said unto Abram. Get thee out of thy country. And from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out. He told Adam, basically, to get out. He drove him out. But Abram, he said to come out. He brought him out. And so I want you to notice the difference in verse 24 of chapter 3 and verse 4 of chapter 12. That Abram or Adam was driven away from the promise, but Abram was called to the promise. And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight. It's time to get out of Haran. It's time to find our place of promise and to get where we need to be with God. If we could go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the blessings that you've given tonight. I thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity to speak to your children. Lord, I just pray tonight that you would anoint my mind, anoint my lips, dear God, that I could speak your word, Lord, as it is in truth, O Lord. I pray tonight that you would bless everyone that hears these words tonight. And I pray more than anything, dear God, that through it all we would draw closer to you. That is the ultimate goal that we have, dear God, is to be in your perfect will. I praise you for tonight. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Y'all can be seated. So I want to start, kind of go back to Genesis chapter 3 and talk about Adam and Eve for a few minutes. So the Garden of Eden, which is often referred to as a paradise, and it was also referred to as the Garden of Yahweh or the Garden of God. This was a garden that God himself had planted and placed the man that he created in. He not only created a place for us, he created us in his image, which was perfect, and he gave us a perfect place to dwell in. He provided all the needs, all the provisions, everything that we would need in this safe place where he created for us to live and to reside. Our job was simply just to dress and to keep it, and contrary to popular belief, Work was part of the original plan. It didn't come about because of sin. We still had a job to do. But God was good enough. He created all that for us. But yet in the end, it was still, it wasn't enough, apparently. 
And so now, through all of that, everything that God did through Genesis and in, in those first three chapters, sin enters into the picture. And so man was referred to as living in a state of ignorance or innocence, but however he had within him the ability to choose. When God created us, he created us perfect. Adam and Eve, more or less, were in a glorified, if some say state. They were innocent. They knew nothing about sin. They knew nothing about pain. They knew nothing about heartache. The only thing they knew was God and that God was good. And they were told to just abstain from one thing. And that's all they had to do. But apparently that was too much. Because we have within us a nature, a depraved carnal nature, that is always at odds with God. Always. Even from the very beginning, in a perfect place, that nature dwelt in us. It just tells me this, that God did not create a bunch of robots. God created a creation that he loved and he wanted to be loved back. And that's, what, that's all he asked us, loving, just loving back. But that wasn't good enough. And so along comes the serpent on the scene. And that's pretty much when the carnal nature really became exposed. He came in as a very subtle or in a, in a very crafty manner. And it's very obvious, even though it's just a, a short few verses that talks about this, he'd been coming around a while. Because I don't know anybody... That will just believe something immediately that some something or somebody says. This this crafty creature had been coming around and he had been in their ears for a while, especially with Eve, telling her things that were at first probably right in line with what God says. And it's kind of like when we're out doing our normal day to day, we're at work, we're living our life, we're rubbing shoulders with people all day that claim to be Christian or whatever, and that's fine. But they have their opinions, and we have this book. And so Eve became deceived because she started listening to a little more and a little more and a little more. Eventually, he twisted the word. And as soon as he twisted that word, she just was deceived. She had listened to it for so long, it became like a nature to her, and she accepted what he said. And this shows man's importance. We need to study, just like the Bible says, to study to show ourselves approved, workmen unto God, that need not be ashamed. Because, oh, the shame that came upon them, it, it was forever at that point. And so we need to study God's Word. We need to understand God's Word. We need to pray about God's Word every day. We need to feed on it just like we do food every day. We have to get this Word deep within us. If you don't understand it, you start praying about it. God will reveal it to you. He loves this book. He loves us. And he's going to share this with us as, as deep as we want to go. He'll take us there. And it's, it's just the way that God works. And so they were led by the influence of what was speaking to them. They were not listening to what was actually being said. And then they eventually, they just finally caved in and they fell into sin. And you got to remember, no matter how strong, how spiritual, how much you pray, you can walk on water. You cannot daily sit and entertain sin without sin finally getting a hold of you. It will defeat you. And so it's a caution tonight, more than anything, is just to abstain, as the Bible said, from all appearances of evil. Do not become accustomed to it. Do not become entwined with it. Abstain from it. It's so much easier to walk away and maintain a relationship with, with God than to stumble and fall and try to crawl your way back to the altar. Pride gets in the way, 
and we struggle to get back to the altar. It is foolishness, but it is the way that our human nature works. And I know this from experience. I've been there. I've gotten angry with God. I've done things that I'm very sorry for, and it took me a long time and a lot of struggles and a lot of heartache to finally get back to where I am today. So we have to make sure we guard our minds, we guard our hearts, and we stay away from the things that will corrupt and twist what God has given us. So as, as a result of that, this behavior, pretty much it just ended up resulting in them being driven from the garden. And that word drove in this passage of Scripture, it was not a simple command to leave. It's much more intense. It basically means they were cast out. They were thrust out or they were driven away. God gave them the boot. He just put them out for good. They were not allowed back in there. How can you walk with God? I mean, walk with God. They knew him. They heard him when he was in the garden. That's how they knew they sinned. Immediately, as soon as they heard their voice, heard his voice, they knew they had sinned. They were that close to God, but yet they still managed to do what they did. They were thrown out of that garden. They were thrown out of paradise. No chance of returning. That was it, the end of it for them. Uh, remember, sin will separate you from God. And not only were they driven out, but God set angels with flaming swords at the entrance of those gates of Eden to ensure that they did not return. They were on the outside of Eden with the ability to look at the gates, see the guards in place, and know that they had disappointed God and been removed from the will of God. And that's a tough place to be. And I'm sure everybody's had their heartaches and their pains. It's a tough place to be. And so we got to work really hard to maintain our spirituality and our walk with God. And this also shows that sin is never without consequence. We should always ask before we do anything, no matter what it is, what does God think? Is my choice pleasing to God? That should always be first and foremost. And then you always have pastor. He's a wonderful guy, and he loves to help us. You should always seek the counsel of pastor. The most important thing, though, when we seek the counsel of pastor is to go to him before we make our choice. It's a little hard for him to counsel you after you're already neck deep into whatever trouble you've gotten yourself into. There's not a whole lot he can do for you at that time. But I can assure you that man will set you in that office. He'll get down. He'll pray with you. He'll do whatever it takes to ensure that the decision you guys make, if you'll believe in him, he'll make sure that y'all touch God together, that we all touch God together, and that is going to be the best decision for our lives. And it will keep us out of harm's way. It will keep us from being driven out of a promise that we have with God. It's very, very important that we keep things in check. And so always remember, we have capacity to choose, but we lack control of the consequences that may come into our life because of those choices. God is in control no matter whether we're in sin or whether we're in his perfect will. He is always in control. The consequences of our actions will follow us no matter which way we go. God is still God. He's still in control. And so after all that God had done for man, it is mind-boggling what happened to mankind once he was removed from the garden. It is though they lost all sense of God. He just vanished. Uh, sin became rampant to the point that God ended up destroying the known world of that day with a flood. And it was just a thousand or so years later, humanity just got to the point they had just lost track. 
And God basically destroyed the known world of that day through a flood. He saved eight. Then just a few hundred years later, the story does get better. I'm not up here to preach doom and gloom tonight, I promise. The story gets much better. Uh, Just a few hundred years later, we're introduced to Abram. And he is living also in a land of idolatry, the land that was created when Adam and Eve were cast out of paradise. This land of idolatry, and it was surrounded by all manner of sin. Man's carnal nature is very influential when not kept in check, especially without the power of the Holy Ghost living within you. So this whole world had become corrupt even after it was flooded. It didn't take them long, a couple hundred years. They had it corrupt again. We are some stubborn creatures. I mean, we just don't get it. We're stubborn. But it's who we are. It's who God created us to be. We've got to learn to channel that stubbornness and look to him and allow him to guide us and guide our lives. And I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful that that was not the end of the story between God and man being thrown out of paradise. Sin may have resulted in man being put out of the garden, but God's faithfulness to his creation will always make a way of escape. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all, every last one in this entire world, no matter how bad they may seem, no matter how mean they are, that they would all come to repentance. God loves the dirtiest sinner. He loves the sweetest person on the planet. But he's desiring them all to come to repentance. We all have to do that. He desires all of his creation to be saved. Not one person was created or that was created was created to be placed in hell. Always remember, in your worst day, hell was created for Satan. It was not created for us. God loved us. He created paradise for us. We blew that, so he gives us another chance. Someday we can rest with him. We can be with him in paradise, live with him, celebrate, worship, praise. It'll be for eternity. Hell was not created for us. It was created for Satan. Always remember that, even in your worst days. And thank God that where sin abounds, grace always much, much more abounds. God's good. Praise God. So Abram, who is also the father of the faithful... In, the chapter, in chapter 11 of Genesis, Abram's father had brought him and some of his family to settle in the land of Haran. And this land was a land of idol worship, much idol worship, particularly to the moon god Sin. That's kind of odd if you're going to be idol worshiping. You might as well worship somebody called Sin because it's pretty much what you're doing anyway. So they're all worshiping Sin, which is pretty much what Adam and Eve were doing. They got kicked out. So... With all this sin going on around Abram, he was a man of faith, and he believed God. And this name Haran, this city, this town, this place, it was derived from a meaning. It, it word, the word means the road. And basically, this was a town. It was a stop on the main thoroughfare that travelers, that businessmen, merchants, they would stop in this place to rest, and then they would start on their journey. And I guess they would worship sin while they were there. And that's pretty much where Abram was at. And so during his time there, he married Sarah. And you guys remember Sarah? She was, she was barren. She could not have a child. And so that was his life. But at some point, you read in chapter 12, in the first verse, God reminded Abraham that he wanted him to get out, to get out of sin to get out of idol worship, to get out of that country. 
He wasn't partaking of it, but he was there. Just like with them, Adam and Eve, when you hang out with sin long enough, it will start to erode you. It will start to drag you down. God had had enough, and he told Abram to get out. Enough's enough. Let's go. He had obviously spoken. If you read that verse, it tells you that God had said. That was past tense. He had apparently spoken to Abraham, no telling when before. But he had now reminded him, it's time to go. I need you to come with me at this point. And so he was going to get out, and he's going to go to a land that God was going to show him. So in other words, he needed to get out of his comfort zone and let God lead him. That's a hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do, especially in this day and age when the world is so unsure. If you've got anything that seems somewhat stable in your life, it's very hard to let that go because this world is very unstable. We deal with it daily. It's very negative. Everything about the news is not positive. We deal with this, whatever this election cycle is that we're having, this embarrassment to our entire country, all of that stuff. It's very negative. There's nothing sure about that. The only thing we're sure of is it's getting worse. And we don't really see a way out for this country. But thank God we have a hope, which is in him. He's going to get us out. My faith is in him. My faith will remain in him. That's where all of our faith needs to remain. We have a hope in him. So getting out of our comfort zone, that means things like Abram, he had to get out of his country. He had to get where he get away from what he knew. He had to leave his people. And he had to leave his father's house. And that was a big deal back in that day and age. You were committed to your family until they passed. And then you took over as the inheritor and you kept it going. That was a big deal to walk away from his father's house. It's not like what we have. We're, we're scattered from our families. To them at that day, that was a huge, huge thing. And so Abram, through faith, in a word, just a word that he had received some point in his life, he obeyed God and he departed. God had spoken to him. He hadn't seen anything yet. He's living with sin. But God spoke to him in the midst of that. And God and Abram believed it and he departed. He walked away. He got out of his comfort zone. And he was led or he was brought out according to the will of God for his life. He listened to the voice of God. He forsook all that he knew, not knowing where he was even headed. He trusted God. Oh, I want that kind of faith. I really, really do, especially today. I want us to all have that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith it's going to take to see what God wants to do in greater life in our area. We got to have that kind of faith. Just quit looking back, look forward, and allow God to lead us. There was only one problem, though, with Abram when he departed. He did not completely leave his father's house. He brought Lot with him. Possibly because Sarah was barren, he was worried that he wouldn't have someone to leave as an heir, everything to, or whatever. Not really sure why he brought Lot with him, but he brought him. And it seems Lot was nothing more than a drag on Abraham and on the promises that God was wanting to accomplish in his life. Lot, he stayed in mischief. Everywhere you read about Lot, he was in mischief of some sort. Uh, he was living in the middle of sin as a, bad, as a result of bad choices. Abram gave him a choice. They looked out over the valley. Their, their herdsmen were starting to argue with each other. Abram said, wait a minute, let's not have quarrels between us. There's a lot of land out here. There's plenty for grazing. Which side do you want? Lot's got his mind on sin. All he saw was Sodom over there, and he went to Sodom. He could have took whatever he wanted, but 
He, took, he chose sin, and man, did he pay for it. Uh, but he stayed in the middle of sin as a result of bad choices. He got captured during an invasion, and Abraham had to stop what he was doing and go save his skin and bring him back. He rebelled against Abram and created strife amongst herdmen for each of them. And he would have been destroyed with Sodom if it had not been for the prayers of Abram to save his skin. He was going to get cooked with the rest of them. That's probably not a nice way to say that, but that's what happened more or less. Actually, I heard God nuked them. He was pretty mad. Um, but Lot was going to go with them. But Abram, in all of his love and his mercy and, and his grace, he prayed and did he pray. He, he bargained with God. If you could just find five in there, will you save the city? Lot and his two daughters and his wife that unfortunately turn around and look back are the only ones that survived that. Abram was dealing with a lot. Well, literally a lot. No pun intended. <laughs> I'm getting good at this. Uh, but anyways, he was dealing with this and still trying to find and maintain the promises of God in his life. And so finally, I just, just like Abraham, God is calling us to separate ourselves to him so that he can fulfill his desires for our lives, our individual lives. Because we can get our lives together and we start coming to this church as individuals with our lives together. Pretty soon this body has its life together and this body will begin to grow. And that is pastor's desire. That is God's desire for this church. There is no reason for that to not happen. So God will call us to separate ourselves to him so that he can fulfill his desires. I like the way the NIV puts 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 18. It tells us to do not be yoked together with unbelievers. This is kind of where Abram was at with Lot. He was an unbeliever. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God had said... I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's who we are. Therefore, come out from among them. Separate yourselves, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And that's awesome. All we got to do is come out. We just got to get out of our comfort zone and we have a promise. He's going to be our father. He's going to take care of us. He's going to clean us up. He's going to give us a way to get out of this place into a land of paradise to live with him forever. And so Abram, not leaving Lot behind, it created a lag time of about 15 years before God could actually perform his perfect will for Lot's life. 15 years is a long time to hang on to something, especially when you want God to live in or to move in you and help you. But you don't hear... From God repeating what he wanted to do with Abram until after he finally parted with Lot. And as soon as he did, in Genesis chapter 13 and 14 and 18, he said, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Isn't it amazing the effects that disobedience to God, no matter what good the intent may be, 
can have on the will of God for our lives. Fifteen years, basically, Abram didn't hear from God. He just wandered around messing with Lot. He prayed for him. He had experiences, but he didn't hear that what he had heard from God originally, which was a promised land. But as soon as Abram got that out of his life, he put that behind him. God spoke to him. He said, now, look up. Look up now and look around you. Everything around you is yours. We have that same promise. There's nothing we can't do. There's nothing we can't conquer. There's nothing we can't have if we'll just look up and let God be our God. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Abram received his promise. And neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. Now that Abram was free from Haran, all that he was attached and all that was attached to it, God began to do awesome things in his life. He was no longer in the path that the masses were traveling. He was walking by faith into a land that God had promised him due to his faith in God's word. And he didn't have a written word back then. He knew he heard from God. This is, there's a big difference. You can read this word all day and believe it. But when you hear from God, oh, it's awesome. It is awesome. There's nothing like it. And you should pray every day until you hear from God. He's a good God and he will talk to you. Once this happened, he was still in this world, but he was no longer a part of that world system. He got away from the idolatry. He got away from the, the sin, more or less. And he became his own man at that point. He followed God and he listened to God. And God dealt with him. God changed his name as a result of this. And great things began to happen. He was blessed with the promised child through Sarah. And God even chose the name of his son. He called him Isaac and he formed a covenant with his descendants that remains to this day. God is faithful. God named his child for him. That's how much God loves us. He gets very involved with our lives if we will allow him to. And we too, like Abraham, if we will forsake this world and the sin that it represents, we too will begin to see God do awesome things in our lives. And church, I promise you, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not saying anybody's living a sinful life tonight. I just know how my life is. I have to work in this world. I have to be a part of this world. I rub shoulders with this world every day. I'm not better than this world, but I know the effects this world has on me. And if it's affecting me, it's affecting everybody else. So I promise I'm not picking on anybody, but we've got to forsake sin. Sin is too easy. It's just too easy to get a hold of our lives, and it's too easy to get a hold of, especially this day and time. So once we do this, God himself begins to do awesome things. We have to get out of Haran. We have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to get away from unholy worldly lifestyles. And we need to separate ourselves from the world just as Abraham did. We've got to become a holy people, the holy people that God's called us to be. He loves us and he wants us to live for him a life of holiness, servitude, and gratitude, thanksgiving, everything we can completely given over to him. 
That's what God's called us to do. And we cannot settle into this world and its systems and expect God to move in our lives. We've got to become as involved with the body of Christ as we possibly can, more involved than we ever have been. We've got to get involved with the church. If you're struggling in your walk with God today, get involved with the church. If you're having a hard time figuring out where your place is in the church, get involved. There's plenty of needs in the church. We need ushers. We need greeters. We need people just to pick trash up. There's all sorts of things you can do. And if you get involved and do just the smallest thing, I promise you God will begin to do great things in your life because of the small things you do for this place. God loves the church. He wants us to be a part of this church. And he'll help us if we'll get involved. We need to listen to and pray for our pastor and the leadership of our church daily. That's got to be a part of our life, no matter what we do. We should roll out of bed in the mornings, hit our knees, and begin to lift up our church, begin to lift up our pastor, because he's praying for us every day. He's being fought every day. If you think we get fought, that man deals with spiritual battles that none of us can even begin to fathom just because of the position he holds. We need to hold him up. That's our job. That's our obligation to him is to hold him up in prayer so that he can fight those battles. Just like Aaron and her held up the hands of Moses when he was parting that, or when God was parting the Red Sea or they were fighting a battle, when his hands came down, they started losing. And it's no different today. We've got to hold our pastor up. As long as his hands are up and he's praying, we're winning. But when we forsake our God-given obligations, we'll start seeing things decrease. We need to lift our pastor up every day. We need to lift up the leadership of our church every day. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters every day, financially, spiritually, emotionally. It doesn't matter. We all have needs. We should lift one another up. That's just our basic God-given talent that we have is to pray. It's not hard. Just lift up folks and love folks, and God will do great things in your life. So we cannot settle into the religious systems that are present in this modern day and expect God to move in our lives as we want him to. Everyone is a Christian today, but it's hard to, to distinguish between a Christian and the world today. I, you're blown away by some of the stuff you see. I, I heard a song the other day, and I looked it up, and when I did, I was like, holy cow, is this some... It reminded me of an old heavy metal band that I used to listen to back in the day. And I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I couldn't tell the difference. You know, we should stand out. We should be different. We should be obvious that we are the church of the living God. That's who we were called to be. People are looking for a way of escape from that world. And when they don't see something different to go to, they have nothing to turn to. And that's why so many people end up lost. You have so many young people taking their own lives today. Suicide is rampant. It's, it's unbelievable what young people do to themselves. They have no hope. Men that are in their 30s are dropping up heart attacks. Why? Because they don't have hope. They're looking for something. We're that something they're looking for. We've got to stand out. We, it, who cares if we stand out? We need to stand out. We need to be a beacon. We need to be a light. We need to be that person that God has called us to be. And people will be drawn to that. And that's what we need to do. That is our purpose. Religion is no longer setting the standard for the world to follow. Religion is now following the standards of the world. And that's a, such a true, but it's a sad statement. Everything you hear about these days, it's, they're coming after the church, every right the church has. And the reason is, is because at some point in time, the church quit praying, the church quit getting involved in their communities, the church quit doing what they were supposed to do, the schools got infiltrated with sin, 
You've got a generation that's come up now. They don't believe anything we believe. And they don't want us doing anything that we do right now. I read a deal today where a coach was chanting a Buddhist chant at a game, but a Christian got set down and told to shut up because he was praying. What sense? That's in this country. That happens every day. They don't want religion. No, they don't want our religion. They're trying to shut the mouth of God, and they're being successful. It's time to rise up, accept who we were called to be, come out from among them, stand out, and be the witness that God's called us to be. It's very simple. Praise God. And so now just to rehash, Adam, he sinned. Abram had faith. But now I want to talk about Jesus. And the reason I want to talk about Jesus is because Jesus was God. He is the Savior of the world. He is our Redeemer. He is the way out. He was God's chosen child. He named Abram's child that was chosen he could create a covenant with. But he had a chosen child also that he gave to this world, and he named him. He was not born of a barren woman that God restored. He was born of an untouched woman. He was fathered by the Spirit of God, and therefore he was undefiled by the sin of man. And yes, the virgin birth is still true, just like it was back then. That is a true story. This book is right. The world is wrong. He was born of pure, unadulterated flesh that God overshadowed and created. And the Bible says that, yes, uh, she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And I'm so thankful to know that tonight. I'm so thankful to know this Jesus. I'm so thankful to know he's not some second person and some Godhead somebody created, a trinity or a dualism or whatever other isms they got. He's God manifest in the flesh. He preached unto the Gentiles. He was received up into glory. He is holy. He is God Almighty. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning, the end. He is the Word manifest in the flesh. He is God Almighty. He is here for us tonight, nothing less. Jesus is God. He is our God. And I thank God for him. I love him. Praise God. He died that we might live. And so understand this. And understand this clearly. The trial and conviction where he was found guilty. The one that he was at. He was not guilty. We were guilty. But the love he had for humanity is why he endured the sentence. The stripes he bore were not stripes he deserved. They were stripes we deserved. But the love he has for us, he went ahead and endured those stripes. The crown of thorns that was jammed down on his head, that was our crown. And it should have been jammed down on my head. But the love he had for me, the love he had for you, the love he had for this entire world, he allowed them to jam that crown down on his head. The nails that were driven into his hands, those nails didn't hold him on that cross. I held him on that cross. The love that he had for humanity held him on that cross. At any time during that ordeal, he could have called for a legion of angels. He could have destroyed everything that Roman government, those self-righteous religious Pharisees, Sadducees, and whatever sees they had. He could have destroyed them all right there with a spoken word. But because he loved us so much, he stayed there and he endured that. He allowed his life to be taken. He allowed it. It was not taken. He allowed it. He allowed it to be. 
And because of that, we're here tonight. Because of the love he had for us, we are here tonight. And I praise him for it. Oh, God, I praise him for it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Everything and more, tonight we are here as a body of believers. We're here as a family dwelling together in unity. We are the soon epicenter, and I believe this with all my heart. There's been too many visions. There's been too many prophecies out of this church. This is an epicenter of revival. I believe that with my whole heart. Greater life is this building as we see it today is not going to hold the masses that are on the way to this church. I believe that with all my heart. And it's because of what he did for us. And it's about us being faithful to him. And this is probably a little short, but I'm going to bring this to a close. But when we, as believers, came and we obeyed Jesus, we received a new name through baptism in his precious name. We received power after that the Holy Ghost came upon us. That power was power to bear witness for his kingdom. We have power over fear. We have power over sickness. We have power over death. We have power over the deceptions of this world. We have power to live a victorious life in him. We are a powerful people. We're a holy people. We're a righteous people. We're a royal priesthood. We were called out according to his purpose. We have got to learn who we are, and we've got to bless God for it every day. And then we were adopted into a family that we didn't even belong to. He adopted us. Because he loved us that much. He gave us his name. He gave us all of his credentials. We're his kids. We're blessed. And all he asks for us to do is serve him. And so tonight, I'm just asking. I'm asking all of us. Whether you're here tonight and you've never obeyed his call in your life. You've never repented. Tonight is your night. If you've never been buried with him in baptism in his name. Tonight is your night. If you've not been filled with the Holy Ghost, His wonderful, precious Spirit, tonight is your night. And if you're here just to be touched because you're struggling with something, guess what? Tonight is your night. So church, if we could all stand, we should all be so grateful for this. And we should tell everyone that we meet about what's going on. And here at Greater Life and in our lives. And I shared something with, with Brother Landon right before church. To tell you how quickly life changes. I was at work today. I was in a meeting. And we got a call. There was a man that sits outside my office in a cubicle. He's there every day. He's faithful to work. Good worker. Good guy. Hard worker. Real pleasant. He died of a massive heart attack right outside today at work. Talked to him earlier today. Everything was fine. You never know. You never know. And I will say this. Tonight is your night. If you need something from God, don't walk out of here not knowing what tomorrow holds. Walk out of here knowing who holds tomorrow. If you need to, I'm asking if everybody wants to come and pray. We'll gather together. We'll pray tonight. We'll ask God to just bless. If there's any needs in this house, I'm praying tonight for God to just bless and save everyone in this house tonight that will earnestly seek him. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you so much tonight.